Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Get up to 30% off wedding jewelry at bluenile.com. And remember the joy of your wedding day forever. Blue Nile offers everything from diamond and lab-grown diamond wedding bands to classic pearls, earrings you can design yourself, even gorgeous sapphire pieces for your something blue. Whatever you choose, Blue Nile's pieces are all graded for excellence, for a lasting memento as brilliant as the love that inspired it. Right now, get up to 30% off at BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. I know that My life does not actually really ultimately belong to me. I know that this has been given to me and I give it in all humility to make the world a better place. I do that with a real reverence and respect for people who don't choose that. That's fine. But in my case, I'm so grateful to have a mission bigger than my own life to devote myself to and to have that mission and vision shape me into the best person I can possibly be. And I tell everybody I know, this is one way to live. It's not the only way to live, but it sure is fun. It sure is a joy. It warms my heart to be able to know that I'm leaving a legacy of a example that you can take your life no matter who you are and make a significant difference. And I think that's what everybody really wants. I think that's all anybody wants. How you day, how you day. That was the voice of Lynn Twist. Now, I know it's been a while since I've been here, a little less than a month, but I want to acknowledge the break. I was just taking a mental health break. I've had a lot going on. Good things, but, you know, with good things comes some stress sometimes, and I needed to just take a little bit of a breather. And being someone that likes to now intensely practice mental health, I recognized that I was feeling a little bit of overwhelm and anxiety, so I took a break from podcasting still have a lot of episodes in the can but now i'm back today's episode is with lynn twist lynn talks about just what i was discussing how to live a committed life how to work through moments where you feel like you're disconnected from your source and if you've ever found yourself feeling burnout or just not connected to who you think your highest self is going to be i think this is going to be an episode that you're going to enjoy listening to and you're going to enjoy discussing once you listen to because you're going to find that you might need to reorganize some of your environments. I couldn't think of a better episode to come back with, especially with me taking my mental health break and the topic of this podcast being about understanding how to live a committed life. So enjoy the episode and see you on the other side. Welcome everyone to another episode of As Told by Nomads. And today I have with me an amazing change maker who goes by the name of Lynn twist. And here's the twist. She's an author, consultant, coach, and proactivist who is committed to life to fighting for equality, to championing the rights of indigenous people all over the world, and to maintaining the most diverse area in our natural forest region of the world, the Amazon. And her life has taken on many twists and turns, to continue the pun, 
And in that vein, she's picked up a lot of lessons. She's been able to mentor a lot of people and has had the ability to be mentored by so many wise, wise folks. And it all culminates in her amazing book, which is called Living a Committed Life. We're going to be discussing what it takes to live one such life and how we can make that a culture today. So welcome to the show, Lynn. Thank you so much for having me. It's a delight to meet you and to be in conversation with you. Likewise, likewise. You know, you know when we got started, I, before I hit record, I was talking about how I was studying a lot of your work once you published this on your email because the mission of this podcast is centered around my mission statement, which is use your difference to make a difference, which means a lot of people that come on the show are essentially change makers who are committed to living a life bigger than themselves. And I was fascinated by your work and the way you define things. So I have a few questions right off the bat, if that's okay. Sure, that's what we're going to do. <laughs> so this is one that I was curious about because I heard you describe yourself as this, but then you said proactivist. What is a proactivist? Well, I have a lot of respect for activism in all its forms. So let me just say that my particular way of being an activist is to be a proactivist, which I define as an activist for not focused so much about being against. And the way I hold that, and I'm not saying everybody should do this, it's just what works for me. I've been committed for most of my life to ending world hunger, to alleviating poverty, to creating equity and fairness and justice, to preserve the Amazon rainforest. And these are all things that have, there's obstacles to them. And there's things that you need to disassemble and have those obstacles need to be addressed. My particular brand, I'll say, of being an activist is to stay committed to the big vision and to have that pull us in a way that we have respect for all these things that are standing in the way and know that dismantling them and disaggregating them takes partnership and communication. So I'm not against stuff. I'm mostly for. So for example, there's a lot of oil companies and mining companies trying to get into the Amazon rainforest. And the way they do their work is very destructive to the indigenous people and to the forest itself. Fighting against the oil companies is one way to work. Fighting against the mining company is a way to work. And I respect the people who are doing that. We need them. Where I am strong and where I have a lot of juice is to fight for the preservation of the forest and have them, those people who are in the way of that, start rethinking what they're doing so that they start being allies in being committed to the preservation of the forest rather than its destruction. So I'm trying to give you an example, but I love people who are fighting against stuff. I'm all for that. It's just that my brand is to keep the vision clear and have that be stronger than anything that's in the way of it. So that's what I mean by proactivist. Well, one thing I've noticed about you is whether it's with your previous book, The Soul of Money, or even with this book, Living a Committed Life, you are very keen on mindset shifts. That's right. And so something as subtle as adding a pro before an activist, it might seem simple with the word in there, but it's not easy in the application. And I think it takes a different method. I wonder if this is stemming from your background, working with nonprofits and figuring out different ways to fundraise. Well, yeah, probably. I worked for many years for the Hunger Project and ended up embracing hundreds of millions of dollars for ending world hunger. And 
fundraising for some people is kind of the necessary evil off to the side of the what's called the nonprofit sector. I call it the social profit sector because I think we're not nonprofit. We generate the profit that everybody's waiting for. We generate a social profit. So I call us the social profiteers. You know, we're actually, we want a profit. What we want is a social profit for everyone. And by the way, I'll say there's two ways to spell profit, P-R-O-F-I-T, but we're also social profits. I would call you one, P-R-O-P-H-E-T. That is your standing for a future that's different than the the current future that we see if we stay on this trajectory. But you're standing in the future, reaching back into this present time and shifting the trajectory so we have the world we want. But I'll say that all of that is really based in love rather than fear. That's really the primary thing I'm trying to say. So if we're fighting for, we're fighting with some passion and love in our heart. If we're fighting against, sometimes it's powered by fear and anger and negativity, although that is very important. So I'm not against that. That's just not my strength. And when people get caught in the negativity, I can be a helpful ally to remind them of the possibility they're fighting for while they're caught in fighting against. Would you say it's possible to fight for and against? There are people that you feel like can do both. Because sometimes when I think about my background, right, the reason I started this, you know, I'm from Nigeria as a flag grows that I spent a lot of my early years under dictatorships before we transitioned to civilian rule. And what got me into the line of work of fighting, to use the word we're talking about against systems of oppression and suppression was my direct experience with that. In that avenue of fighting against those systems of oppression and suppression, I found that you also fight for people, whether it's through the representation of who you are or creating a platform that allows other people to get voices. So I'm just wondering if there's a possibility for nuance there that exists. Absolutely. I think you just said it. You answered your own question. I've worked in Nigeria myself. In fact, I you have? I love Nigeria, as troubled and challenging as it is. Yeah. <laughs> just to give you a little bit of a view into my relationship with Nigeria, I adopted um, Moshud Abiola's daughter. Uh, Hafsad Ab- Abiola is my angel daughter. After her parents were assassinated, she and I became very, very close and I adopted her. So she's my daughter. You wouldn't believe this. My middle name is Abiola. It is? Yeah, my middle name is Abiola. So I've always been at the MK of Moshuda, Abiola story. For those that don't know, he was, uh, we believe was assassinated. He won the first free and fair elections in years in Nigeria. But um, due to several regimes, he was uh, jailed for treason, actually. And so interestingly enough, I was, I was a young kid at the point, but we used to always pay attention to that. And we used to watch the news of people we wanted to lead in exile. We see them in exile teleporting that and would read the newspapers saying different things. You know, we heard about the, the 993 elections and getting annulled. So it's a fascinating circle there. But that, that plays a role. I, I love how the world ends up being that way. It does lead me, though, to double down. On the, this was the second question I wanted to ask you is, why do you think many leaders in the world aren't modeling a life of commitment the way you define it? I think because there's a headiness, something that comes with too much power that people can't see any longer. And the power is so heady. It's so, it's like a narcotic that they think they have to have more all the time. And so they almost get addicted to power just the way we get addicted to drugs or potato chips or whatever it is that we, you know, this is your vice. And you can't see any longer because you crave so much 
power and people lose their way. I mean, I remember Robert Mugabe in Zimbabwe when he was a countryman who fought for the, to get the British out of Zimbabwe, out of Rhodesia at the time, and was a hero. And at the Hunger Project, we gave him the Africa Prize for Leadership. He was just awesome. And then he became the head of Zimbabwe. Ultimately, took some years before he turned into somebody that I know he never meant to be, but he turned into kind of a monster. He certainly did. He was just one of the worst leaders in Africa. I think about not just in Africa, where you're from, but everywhere. It's very, very difficult, I think, for people with a lot of power to stay centered in any kind of humility or any kind of integrity with their own commitment to something larger than their own survival. If they have to get elected, then their survival is dependent upon amassing and holding on to power. So I think the way the world is organized now, where people are elected because they have more money than everybody else to kind of manipulate the population, has corrupted our democratic system really all over the world in such a way that it's so distorted now that people can't feel anymore what they're committed to. All they can do is hang on to the power that becomes their survival technique, and then they lose their way. When we're fighting for our survival like that, we'll do anything to survive, and we'll go against our own integrity. So a lot of it is the corruption that comes with too much money, too much power, and having to use financial resources to stay in power. Thank you for saying that. But you know, it's so fascinating hearing you say that, because I've often heard that idea, the power corrupts and absolute power corrupts. In recent years, I've shifted that because I do think if you follow Spider-Man or superhero stories, with great power comes great responsibility. And I think the thing missing, it could be what you're saying, you had the committed life, but I don't think we've actually created a culture of accountability overall, right? You know, even watching what happened with MK Abiola, which you brought up and, and seeing him win and then the election taken for him, each of these dictators came on to say, we know what's best for you. So there's a certain arrogance there, but then they stayed past the term. And yes, money was certainly part of it. You know, we have on record a lot of dictators at the time, Abacha in particular, stole a lot of money from the people and and then put it in offshore accounts. But I wonder if accountability plays a role in there. I'm always wondering if it's also possible to actually use money to do good. And we need to reframe, retrain our mind on how we think about money and then add a level of accountability. And to your point, remind ourselves of what our purpose is that is bigger than who we are as people. That's the whole point of my book. So I love your question. I do want to say something about this, though. Well, let me just stay on point here. So when you have a purpose larger than your own life, even a purpose that you can't accomplish in your own lifetime, that's really helpful. If it's larger than you can actually ever take credit for, that ensures that a sort of anchors in your own humility. You know, it's amazing what you can do if you don't need credit for it. So that's one thing. But then I, for some reason, I want to say something about Gorbachev. Can I do that? Of course, you can say, yeah, this is your show. You can definitely say something about Gorbachev. Because I was fortunate enough to work with President Gorbachev, who just died this week at 91. I witnessed in this, you were, you know, I'm older than you are. So you were, you know, maybe not born or maybe a young child when this was happening. I was born in 89. So you were probably, you know, in a crib when this was happening. (laughs) But this guy, this is a man who had unbelievable amounts of power because he was the premier of the Soviet Union, which was this massive, massive 
collection of all kinds of countries, the largest landmass on Earth, really bigger than China. And all these satellite countries were under his control. And there was this horrendous thing called the Cold War, which I'm sure everybody studied in history, with the United States and pretty much the United Kingdom. And two countries were just powers were just amassing more and more and more weapons to destroy each other and the whole world. I mean, we were headed for a nuclear holocaust, 36,000 warheads over on that side and 41,000 warheads over here. It was ridiculous. It was insane. And everybody knew it. He was the guy who, with all that power, all that muscle, all those weapons, really started the dissolving of that conflict. He had the humility, the integrity, the heart to wake up and see this is insane what we're doing. And he's really the source of the end of the Cold War. He reached across the big, big giant aisle, <laughs> which was the world, to George Schultz and George Bush and Margaret Thatcher and, you know, Perestroika and Glasnost, which I'm sure you probably studied once you grew up to. Oh, yeah. You know, my father was a diplomat, so I didn't even have a choice. And here he is now. That took incredible humility. And the back story there, and I don't know if this is being written about now that, that people are honoring him, was his wife, Raisa, who couldn't stand what was happening and told him, you have the authority. You have actually the accountability, not only the authority and the power, but to your point, the accountability to unlock the whole world and create a new political and economic order. If you can let go of the massive power of the Soviet Union and make peace with the United States and the United Kingdom. And so I've been told that she had a lot to do with that. You know, she was first lady of a huge nation, but she wasn't burdened with the massive, massive, massive accountability that he had, but had a different kind of accountability to the heart, I'll say. So I think you're really right. We have created a culture of no accountability. It's gotten way worse in the United States since the Trump administration, you know, took accountability for absolutely nothing, um, <laughs> but just boasted about everything. That example is just, it's toxified our world. And you can point to him, but it's actually the, what he represented and continues to represent is no accountability, but massive bully authority. It's out of control now. It's just awful. I totally agree with you. This is why your book comes into such a great time. I, I know Van Jones wrote the forward of your book, but, you know, any system we're trying to find. Van Jones is usually fighting against the school to prison pipeline, you know, just any of the mass incarceration problems and any of these things. There is a dearth of role models, positive role models. And there's also this increase of populism, right? What is with social media where like, oh, my gosh, this guy seems to have no accountability, but has the life I have. And he's leading in such a way where no one can tell him or her or anything. I want to be like that type of person. And then there's the person who's also at that threshold of deciding if they're going to do and follow suit or decide what they want to do. I want you to talk to that person, that person at the cusp of becoming you know, an adult or even a teenager who's making a decision to put in a disciplined practice that they will follow for the rest of their life, much like you did when you heard, I believe it was Erhard? Is that Erhard, Erhard. Yeah, yeah. when you heard him say he was going to fight for uh, making sure that we end hunger. How can we start? What is the starting point? Well, the starting point, I think, is what's in your heart. 
you know, there's what's in your head. It's not bad or good. It's just in your head. And the thoughts that think you actually sometimes are not your own thoughts, but that come from the culture that we live in, you know, that kind of push us to want money and power and control over other people. And then there's what's in your heart, which is love and commitment and courage and forgiveness and compassion and collaboration. And we want to balance the head and the heart. You know, we need to understand competition and we need to have the hunger to succeed. We need to have that drive, but we also need to pay much more attention to the heart. And I'll just say that the book I wrote, Living a Committed Life, is really rooted. A committed life is rooted in understanding that your life has been given to you rather than it's your you know, thing to own and make so powerful that you can dominate other people. No, it's been given to you. It's a blessing to be alive, particularly at this time in history, particularly now. We live at such an epic, epic, epic moment. And we're clearly in a huge kind of almost unbelievable breakdown. The political system, climate crisis, the health crisis, the massive inequality, the racial crisis, the crisis in ethics, the crisis in understanding the truth. It's just massive. And we're alive at a time when what can address all of this is integrity, heart, really understanding that fear doesn't get us anywhere, that what really is not the opposite of fear, but the absence of it is real love. And people have that in their heart and they know it. And so a committed life is one where you realize what are you called to be? Not what are you hoping to do or being kind of manipulated to do? What are you called to be? Who are you called to be? Why were you born this lifetime? Who are your true heroes that inspire you, you know, that move you when you hear their name? You know, the Jane Goodalls, the Maya Angelous, you know, even someone like Oprah, who's used her incredible life which was given to her in a way that was rough. She had a rough, rough, rough childhood. But she realized that her life is a blessing, and so she's giving it. So there's an opportunity to see your life as a blessing. And once you receive a blessing, the purpose of that is to bless. If you know your life is given, then what do you... Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound. And you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. You want to give your life to that isn't about you, but is about moving the dial, about evolution, about the continuum, about the transformation of humanity. We're in a huge absolutely unbelievable, unprecedented evolutionary leap as a species, I would say. And we are 
at a time where we need to reset, rethink, reimagine, redesign, renew, revitalize, and regenerate who we are as a human family. We're in breakdown everywhere. Breakdowns are healthy, especially if we see that every breakdown has the seeds in it of a breakthrough that's way bigger than the breakdown itself. And that's really the truth about life. Your vision is always bigger than the obstacles to the vision. This is wonderful phrase from Rev D, Reverend Deborah Johnson and Michael Beck with two ministers that I just adore. Pain pushes until vision pulls. Pain pushes until vision pulls. And the pain that we're in as a culture, as a humanity, as a world, as a civilization is pushing us and it will keep pushing us until vision pulls. We need a vision so much bigger than the pain that we're in. And when we are in touch with that vision, then it pulls us out of the pain into that new future. And that's what a committed life does. You know, I've committed my life to ending world hunger. I've committed my life to creating an environmentally sustainable, spiritually fulfilling, socially just human presence on this planet. And living into that commitment, an environmentally sustainable, spiritually fulfilling, socially just human presence on this planet and having that vision and having that guide me pulls me toward a new kind of world. And it also fashions the person who has the vision into the kind of person who can fulfill that vision. The vision shapes you into who you need to be to fulfill it rather than you have to be great in order to have that kind of vision. No, you have that kind of a vision and the vision reaches back and shapes you into the kind of being that can fulfill that vision. So it has enormous power living a committed life. It also, it frees you. People think it traps you into commitment. No, commitment frees you. When you try to keep all your options open, you're paralyzed. You don't know what to do. You don't know how to make a decision. You're looking sideways. Which thing should I do? Which thing should I be? But when you actually make a commitment to what you know is yours to do, that you're here on this planet, that you're uniquely suited to make this particular offering, this contribution to the world. I'm sure that that you found that in your podcast, that that's probably why you're doing this kind of stuff, because you have the capacity to draw out of people kind of their best, their best thinking, and to have conversations that matter, or you wouldn't be having this podcast. So that pulls you into being the kind of guy who can put this kind of thing together. And it allows you to be free to express yourself rather than trying to figure out what your life's about. So commitment is the source of freedom and fulfillment. And that's really what my book's about. You go on to say that if you live a committed life, it gives you freedom and fulfillment in a way that you couldn't imagine. I've heard you say that in an interview. And then I wanted to read this here. In your book, you say a committed life demonstrates the power of dedication that goes beyond the self and teaches how to live a committed life that enables you to draw on resources and capacities from your most authentic self. You do this in several parts in in the book. I think that's the beauty of the irony here. A lot of times people can feel imprisoned by having to commit to someone, even if you tie it down. So let's say marriage or a relationship, whatever, you know, this is too restrictive or I don't want to go to school here. There's a beautiful freedom that can come as you start to learn about yourself, your vision, your mission, how you play a role in that vision and mission and what commitment you decide to make based on 
who you are, the mission, the vision you're setting. And, and I think a lot of people see it the other way. They see it as, oh, that's limited. I, I'm not even going to think about the mission and vision of that. I want to be able to see the world in, in all the, in its array of options and not grow in each of these places. It's like, it's a carpet for the horse type thing. Yeah, it's, it's kind of a paradox, actually. It is a paradox. It's not an either or, you know, we it's both end. binary. Yeah, it's a both end. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And that's the thing with life in general. I, I think you, you will say this. Uh, I often say we need to start thinking of ourselves as limitless as opposed to limited. But I think we get in trouble when we do that kind of thing here, when we feel like you can't be something because you chose that path. That's beautiful. There's a You use the word soul a lot. Mm-hmm. But I have a feeling you have a different definition. I mean, I, I know you have a spiritual background, you know, soul of money, soul of commitment. What is the soul of anything that we have today? Well, you know, that's a, I don't know that anybody really can define soul. I mean, I'm sure the dictionary has a particular definition, but what I'm referring to is the source of something, source of being. You know, there's this wonderful, misunderstanding, I don't know how wonderful it is, about the word wealth, for example. The word wealth, the origin or etymology of the word wealth is well-being. And the etymology of the word well-being is the well of being, the well of being, which is in you, which is in me, which is in everybody listening to us today. And that well of being is infinite. It's infinite. It's not limited. And that's what I would call source or soul. You know, the soul of money is kind of an odd topic for a book because money doesn't have a soul, but we do. And we can bring our soulfulness to the way we use money. We can bring our soulfulness to the way we walk in the world. We can bring our soulfulness to a conversation like the one we're having today. The soul is tapping into You might call it source. You know, some people who are very religious might call that God, but I don't mean a figure that we worship. I'm talking about, you might say, the creative energy of the universe. I work with indigenous peoples of the Amazon, and they would call it the spirit of the forest or the spirit of life, the spirit of of Gaia or the creator. But when we say creator, then we kind of envision some being. No, I'm talking about the being that the being sphere that we all have access to. And when we're moved, you know, when you get a little bit teary or get choked up, you're in touch with that, whatever it is. When you hear somebody speak every January 15th, I always listen to NPR because they play Martin Luther King speeches all day long on Martin Luther King Day. And I just hear the sound of his voice and I start to get teary. It starts to well up inside of me. That orator gift that he had was really tapping into what I'm talking about now, which is the soulfulness that we all have access to. And when you hear it, when you feel it, you're touched by it. You know it. It's not only familiar to you, you know you're at the heart of something. So that's what I mean by soul. I'm getting chills listening to you because, you know, I grew up as an athlete. I mean, you probably see in the back. Yeah. And I'm a writer and creator. They always say flow, writing. But when there's an athlete, it's like the, the athlete is touched by something. The athlete can't miss. The athlete is making all the right moves. If his tennis is hitting the, you know, the forehand, backhand strokes and basketball hitting the right shots and no one understands what's happening. And you ask the athlete at the end of the interview, what happened to you? And he, she, they say, I don't know. I just felt like I was meant to be there. I felt like I was, I was just in flow and there was nothing that could stop me. And 
It didn't matter who he put in front of me. And I feel like there are many versions of that in everyone's life when someone is committing to what they're doing. Now, if you think about that athlete, their mission and vision, I want to be the best player. I want to be the best this. And they put in the work and they started to understand themselves and they were in tune with something internal and external even sometimes to figure that part out. Yeah, it's like being uh, tapped into something. We can't really name. It's like nameless. It's ineffable. You know, you can't live there for 100% of your life. Otherwise, you wouldn't be a human being. (laughs) It's available. It's accessible. And everybody knows, everybody knows those moments when they, you know, when a child was born and they, the little baby put its finger around your your finger, its little hand around your finger, and you started to choke up or an awesome, awesome experience of seeing a sunrise that somehow it's just, you really get that the earth is turning toward the sun rather than the sun is coming up where you kind of realize you get in touch with the universal, the intellectual integrity or the, I don't know, the heart of the universe. And and it, it comes and goes and it's almost as if you're guided or if something's lifting you along and channeling and you're not even there. You're not even there. Martha Graham used to say, when the dancer is gone and the dancer becomes the dance. And that's what you're talking about as an athlete. You know, it's like Michael Jordan, sometimes he wasn't really even there. Something carried that body up to that basket, (laughs) you know, or Steph Curry, who I love and watch all the time because I'm a warrior. Oh, you're in the Bay Area. so. So, you know, sometimes he's in touch with that and sometimes he's not. But you can see when he is. And it's almost like he probably is. Can't miss. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he can't miss. Yeah. To even use your example, you brought up Martin Luther King in your January, January 15. If you look at that, I have a dream speech. That wasn't even the initial idea of the speech. Where a lady goes, you were talking about the dream, Martin. And then he just, he goes, he ascends into something. Oh, that's right. I have a dream. He was channeling. Then one day. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's coming through. It was coming from somewhere. Yeah. And it's coming through him as well as from him. I really think it comes through us and from us. So we have some agency, but mostly our agency is to be a vessel for something greater than ourselves. That's the power of language. You just add in from, I think someone's listening there is probably going to be more empowered because you added that from there. Because if you maybe say coming through someone, some people can understand that, but then you say through and from, they're like, oh, it's always here. I just have to cultivate it and really hone it. And stay in tune with that. This, uh, uh, you know, Kings, Queens, Royalty, you know, I'm talking to Lynn Twist here. It's uh, the author of Living a Committed Life. Where can people get the copy of this book? Because I think this is just scratching the surface of what you wrote about. And I went through it. So very powerful culmination of stories. Well, thank you for that. And I, I also want to just say that I think we're living at a time where the world is demanding the issues that we face, demanding that more people find themselves in the zone of living a committed life. You know, it's not just one person here and one person there. We need more people or not we. I'll just say the world is hungry for more commitment, more accountability in the human species for our actions, for the consequences of the choices we make. The choices we make now impact the future of life for a thousand years. I mean, really, like no kidding. That's not a burden. That's so cool because that ennobles our lives. That means we can live the most meaningful lives any generation has ever lived, that we have that opportunity. So to really 
realize that it makes life so exciting. And even though things are, you know, breaking down, it's terrible and there's this and that and all this stuff that's not working. But what a thrill to be able to address ourselves to that, to live life that's meaningful, not just about our little wants and needs and whether or not we feel good about ourselves. All of that is so kind of takes over our petty thoughts about do we look good? Are we too thin or too fat or too tall or too young or too old? All that stuff. Do people like us? All of that can totally consume you. And then you spend everything on that rather than putting that in the background and committing whatever you have, which is what we've been given and dedicating it to making the world work for everyone and no one left out. So it's so exciting to be alive right now and to really be someone who's on the job, who's in the zone, who's making it work, who's playing their heart out, you know, why not? Why not? And well said. Again, your book, oh, I'll put this episode out when the book is out, but your book is going to be out by the time this comes out. And it's sold everywhere books are sold, right? Yeah. And you can order it online. Actually, now during this interview, we're doing it probably earlier than the release, but you can order it right now on Burns and Lobel, Amazon. Amazon. It's available now. You can order it. It's shipped then. Perfect. Buy it, buy it, buy it. Uh, yes, please buy, buy, buy. Let's get the sales. Read it, read it. Also read it. Don't just buy it, read it. Read it, share it, gift it. <laughs> we share it. It can be used any time of the year. This is the question I have for my final question. I wanted to just give you a moment to talk about overwhelm and overcommitment. We've been talking about commitment, committed life. Is there a point when it gets to over and then overwhelm? Absolutely. All the time. <laughs> You know, do you want to live a life of underwhelm? No. <laughs> you know, do you want to be underwhelmed by what life? You know, do you pick underwhelm or overwhelm? Look at, I think being an overwhelm is thrilling. You know, it is, it is like, God, I'm taking on everything. So yes, I get overcommitted. Yes, I get overwhelmed. Yes, sometimes I break down and how can I do all this stuff? And then I, you know, ask one of my colleagues who's conscious and a good witness, especially my colleague, Sarah Vetter. I did this with her on Tuesday, actually, to sit with me while I went, oh, I can't do this. And I promised this and I'm not going to get this on time. And why did I say that? <laughs> I did that. And then she'd say, okay, got it. What else? She didn't try to fix it. She didn't say, oh, they're there. Oh, you're right. You shouldn't have promised that for this afternoon. You can't get that done. She didn't do anything. She didn't try to help me, fix me, make me feel better. She just said, got it. What else? And then I went, and then she said, got it. And then she said, what else? And it was an hour, I'm embarrassed to say, of me kind of dumping (laughs) and letting go of all these whining a little bit and being like a little girl. And then I was done. We went outside and took a walk and then I got on with it because there's a lot of stuff to take care of, but it's worth it. You have moments like that. Yeah. Oh, trust me. I do. I I guess the reason I'm even asking questions is because sometimes I felt the personal effect of burnout. You know, your body gets there and then it leads to a depressive cycle. And I'm still in tune with the mission I want to have. But there are moments when I find myself being unable to get out of bed to do the thing I know I'm supposed to do and I'm able to do. And in those moments, I wonder if there's a a way we can recharge by connecting the source based on your experience. Yeah, that's exactly right. You answered your own question. That is burnout to me is not a function of working too many hours or not, or having Coke and pizza instead of something healthy. It's a function of being disconnected from source. 
That's the true burnout. And when you reconnect with source, you will take care of yourself because you realize you're included in all of the commitments you've made. It's really important. I once, I'll tell you a, a short story. I was once interviewed, I was once called by a, the editor of a woman's magazine called Balance. They wanted to put me on the cover and have me do a, you know, feature article as an interview. And I said to the person, I said, thank you so much for inviting me to do that. But I think I'm the wrong person. I don't think I, I'm a good example. I don't think you should put me on the cover of your magazine. And I don't think you should interview me because I don't even seek balance. I'm not interested in balance. I don't have it as a goal. You know, people might call me an unbalanced person. If I need to work all night and I'm totally fired up and turned on to make something happen, I'll do it. If I need to do an overnight red eye to New York from San Francisco to be there in the morning for something I really believe in, I'll do it. So I'm all about my love for my work. So I don't live a balanced life. What I seek rather than balance is integrity. What I seek and what I'm committed to is integrity. And that is giving and keeping my own word and being in tune with source and the vision and mission that I stand for, being the stand I've taken. And sometimes that requires me to do things that most people would call out of balance. But also the integrity includes making sure I take care of the vessel, which is mine to be responsible for, the vessel of my body, the vessel of my heart, the vessel of my energy, to make sure that I can be the instrument of what wants to happen and be an effective instrument of that. But sometimes I got to go over the edge. And so the woman was so inspired by this conversation, she did put me on the cover. She did do the interview. And here I was talking about, I don't even seek balance. I will say that my commitment to make the world work for everyone with no one and nothing left out needs to include me. It needs to include my own health and well-being. So even though I do burn the candle at both ends sometimes when I think I need to, then I stop, then I take care of myself, then I restore, then I regenerate, and then I'm better than ever. You are better than ever, Lynn Twist. And your book, Living a Committed Life, is one we are going to continue to, to champion and promote. I was grateful and humbled enough to receive an advanced copy. I want to thank you for your time. And I want to set you up for the final question which is the mission statement of this podcast, which, as I shared with you earlier, is use your difference to make a difference. Lynn, you've answered this question in many different ways today. If you could answer in a sentence or a phrase, how do you use your difference to make a difference? I know that my life does not actually really ultimately belong to me. I know that this has been given to me and I give it in all humility to make the world a better place. I do that with a real reverence and respect for people who don't choose that. That's fine. But in my case, I'm so grateful to have a mission bigger than my own life to devote myself to and to have that mission and vision shape me into the best person I can possibly be. And I tell everybody I know, this is one way to live. It's not the only way to live, but it sure is fun. It sure is a joy. It warms my heart to be able to know that I'm leaving a legacy of a example that you can take your life no matter who you are and make a significant difference. And I think that's what everybody really wants. I think that's all anybody wants. That's so beautiful. And I agree with you. I think so. If we are in our most honest moment, we'll find that that's what we want as well. 
Thank you so much. This has been a real pleasure. What a, what a wonderful day. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. So much fun for me. And thank you for being so honest and real and cool and handsome. <laughs> you know, I wish I wish I could clip that and send that to my brother so they, they'd recognize that the older brother is honest and cool. <laughs> thank you. I, you are, you energized me. I, I was, uh, you know, I've been having like a malaise since, you know, the summer started. So I feel energized to really get back to that source that I know that I have within me. So thank you so much. Thank you. Bless you. Okay. Bless you. Take care. Take care. Kings, Queens of Royalty. Till next time. Use a difference to make a difference. You've just been listening to the As Told by Nomads podcast. For more ways to reach out to Tayo and to use your difference to make a difference, head over to www.tayoroxon.com. Hey folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF Podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues, your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.